right, welcome Christian Israel, Pastor Eli James here, and today we are going to talk about the KGB, and maybe even some about the ADL. This is going to be our third installment of The Nameless War by Archibald Ramsey. We left off on page 31, and we're going to pick it up there and repeat some of the information on that page, because it's very important. I also want uh, you all to know that uh, I just put a link in for Gina Aversano, who was arrested for putting a sticker on a rock in New York City, which uh, which violates the Jewish law against freedom of speech. Okay, the Jews have so much control over New York State and New York City; it's unbelievable. So that somebody could be accused of a felony by putting a sticker on a rock, <laughs> right? Oh, hate speech. It's hate speech. Well, it's, hate speech is whatever the Jews don't like. Whatever words the Jews don't like. That's hate speech, folks. Of course, the Jews can call for the extermination of the white race 24-7, and nobody objects, certainly not legally. So some of these hate speech-filled Jews need to be brought to court and uh next weekend by the way let me quickly announce there won't be any shows live shows next weekend because i'll be in texas for a rally and uh we're we're going to be discussing things like this i'll be talking to a lawyer there about filing lawsuits against the jews because this is clearly a violation of the constitution there is no such thing as hate speech that's the contrivance of the international Jew. And these laws need to be stricken down and the ADL needs to be exposed for the hate-filled, subversive organization that it really is. So, uh, I think what I'm going to propose is because there's going to be a lot of young people there that some of these people become paralegals and maybe even study law because there aren't any lawyers in the country who are willing to fight the ADL because the ADL has so much control over the legal system and of course politics and economics and freedom of speech that we need to start fighting back. We need to have a courageous young people who have the time to learn how, at least how to be a paralegal and advise our people who are being brought up on char- these ridiculous hate speech charges. Okay. And obviously it's selective prosecution because only white people are ever accused of hate speech or hate crimes. Other races are never, even though it's obvious that blacks routinely murder, uh, attack, and slander white people without any charges being filed against them. The same thing, true, the, the Jews don't commit violent acts against us. They just instigate violent acts against us. So they're always careful not to stay out of harm's way. But hate speech by the Jews against the white race is absolutely common. It's absolutely common. And so they need to be brought up on charges. So whenever uh, we can get a paralegal force going, because time is short. I don't think we really have time to have our young people go through law school. In any case, that's what's going to be happening next weekend. So I won't be doing any live shows but I'll be doing a report about that on the following weekend. 
So anyway, welcome to Bloodlines. Uh, Michael's not going to be with us today. He's out gallivanting, hunting moose, <laughs> right? So he's out hunting moose. I guess he's going to stock his refrigerator for, hopefully he'll have power for his uh, freezer because Europe is going to be experiencing some serious hard times with respect to energy. There's even a law in, I think it's all over Europe, I know it's in Germany, where in Austria, where it's illegal to chop, go out in the woods and chop firewood. But people might have to start breaking these laws to stay warm this winter. And we know that the Nord Stream pipeline was blown up by the Rothschilds to make it make life miserable for white people in Europe. They've been making life miserable for white people in Europe since they invented communism, which we're going to talk about today, since they invented communism. So anyway, glad to see you all. Uh, this is going to be our third installment on the, uh, yeah, Jeffrey, status, 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 thank you. And uh, yeah, I'll be seeing Jeffrey next weekend as well. Our people need to get their legal status in order, their state, well, it's called national uh, state citizenship, okay? The uh, the legal system keeps on changing the terminology. But uh, I also, also want to report that my recent appearances on Caravan to Midnight have have stirred up the pot considerably and... Only put the. I'll just copy this link and put it in the chat room real quick. That you know, the word is getting out that the Jews are not Israel, and this last appearance last Thursday night, I just bluntly stated that the Jewish people are the Antichrist and the synagogue of Satan. <laughs> okay, and so the word is getting out, and if you look at the comment sections of various patriotic websites. They are filled with comments by identity sympathizers who understand that the Jews are not Israel, that they're imposters, that we Caucasians are the true Israelites. And there's more and more websites popping up expressing that truth than ever. So there is a movement underway, the Great Awakening. And as a matter of fact, when I was on the show with J.B. Wells last Thursday, I I disproved the Jewish contention that Ezekiel thirty-seven twenty-six, I believe is the verse, or 28, that states that there's going to be a third temple. It states nothing of the kind. That chapter is about the, the coming of Christ and the giving of the Holy Spirit to the Israelites at Pentecost in 33 A.D., so it has nothing to do with a third temple. There is no such prophecy in Scripture. And the Bible tells us that we are the temple, <laughs> not some brick-and-mortar temple. We, true Israel, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's a temple made without hands. And in the book of Revelation, Revelation twenty-one twenty-two, it says, there is no temple in it. No physical temple. Because we are that temple. That's U.S. national. That's the status. Now, interestingly, uh, Caravan to Midnight had Roger Sales on. I think it was a couple of Thursdays ago, maybe three Thursdays ago now. 
that that stirred up so much muck, and uh, he's a muckraker too, that stirred up so much muck that uh, Caravan to Midnight got flack from above, whatever above means, probably from their advertisers, because, you know, the Jews have control of most of these advertisers. Although Caravan of Midnight also accepts donations, they, you know, they don't want to lose any funding. So when the Jews threaten to, you know, get rid of your advertising, they can, they can make good on that threat. So Roger Sales' appearance on Caravan to Midnight explaining how the 14th Amendment has deprived white people of their American citizenship and turned us into second-class federal citizens as opposed to the state citizenship that the Constitution provides. And that state citizenship, folks, is only for white people. (laughs) It's only for white people. I've done many shows about this here on Eurofolk Radio. And what the 14th Amendment did was it created a second-class citizenship for white people. Yeah, the, they created a, a citizenship category for ex-slaves, for freed slaves, but they put us, white people, in the same category. So we are now denizens of the federal government, and this is by quasi-legal means because Nobody understood that the 14th Amendment put white people into second-class citizenship, namely federal citizenship, in the same category as the freed slaves of Washington, D.C. So, anyway, this is a very, very important topic. White people need to understand their rights. Yeah, from civil rights to savages, right? They turned us, they treat us as savages, don't they? That's what they do. Yeah, they turned our God-given rights into quote-unquote civil rights through the 14th Amendment. It is a legal sleight of hand. And so Roger was talking about how we could get our true citizenship back, and they told me that this was such a provocative message, (laughs) provocative and controversial message, that they're going to have to take a break from that subject they have every intention of inviting Roger Sales back. Yeah, we have become their party, their property. We have become the property of the international Jew via the 14th Amendment. And so they have every intention of inviting Roger Sales back, but they, they want to have some time. Uh, they don't want to offend the advertisers too often, <laughs> right? They don't want to offend the advertisers too often. It was same, you know, same for me when I was at uh, Republic Broadcasting Network. They had advertisers. I was only there for six months, but I know the advertisers. You know, in most of these uh, companies, I don't care what name they go under. Most of these companies are owned by Jews. Even the uh, you know the alternative vitamin companies. If they weren't begun by Jews, the Jews buy them out and take them over. That way they can make sure they have advertising clout on whatever radio network there is. And Caravan to Midnight is broadcast over the airwaves on commercial radio. So they have to be careful what they broadcast. But nevertheless, they've had me on now five times, and I put the link in the chat room, for those shows, 
And uh, please share those shows with everybody. And when you have time, please listen to them. Okay? So, yeah, yeah, we are traded on the stock market. Our birth certificates are, how should I put this, a, uh, a lien against us. A lien against all the income we make for the rest of our lives. That's how it's an international system set up by the international Jew, of course, the House of Rothschild. And that is the situation we're in. So the more people become aware of this situation and how we are being manipulated and enslaved, literally enslaved by this system. So from chattel slavery to debt slavery, all right? We are now debt slaves to the international Jew. That's the reality, folks. So, the bondholders are whoever, you know, it's the, it's the international banks that are the real bondholders, holders. They own us. Yes, that's exactly right, Paul. They own us. Okay? And Nary, an American, knows it. So, Roger Sales has been putting the word out. Uh, here, you're a folk radio. He's on every day at, uh, I think it's noon Eastern time for two hours. So, I invite you to join uh, your folk radio every day to join Roger Sales, and before him is Rick Tyler spreading the Christian identity truth before that show, and then Andrew Carrington Hitchcock later on in the day, etc., etc. So our daytime broadcasting during the week is really outstanding, folks, so don't forget to tune into those shows. We've been having pretty much trouble-free broadcasting since Paul English re redid the system. We had, went to a completely new server. Uh, there's still some work to do, catch up, because the phone uh, system, the, the people who are trying to listen by phone are having difficulty because Paul simply hasn't had time to update the phone numbers. And he's, he promised me he'll do that this weekend. So without further ado, let's get into this. This is one of the most important books, and I stress to everybody this book, The Nameless War, is such an important book that no patriot should ever be without it. And you can get a uh, free copy online. Uh, that's what I'll be re- reading from here today. And, okay, let's see here. I was flipping around on the, we- on the uh, webpage, and it seems, okay, it's, <laughs> it's listed under Untitled which is really weird, okay? So it shows untitled in the uh, search bar of my computer here, but it should have the nameless war, so that's why I was confused. I couldn't find it. But anyway, this is the nameless war, and I'm going to copy it and paste it into the chat room once again so everybody can find it and read along. So here we go, copy... And paste. There it is in the chat room. And this is presented by Resist.com, which is obviously a white nationalist website. The Nameless War PDF. We left off last time on page 31. And I'll start at the paragraph that says, Between 1945 and 1949... The propaganda to convince Gentiles, that is, the Goyim, white people, outside the Iron Curtain, 
And of course, the nameless war states in no uncertain term that the Bolshevik Revolution was a Jewish putsch against Russia. It was not an internal revolution, as most people falsely believe. It was a Jewish putsch, a usurpation, a dethronement from outside. It was not an internal revolution. It was totally financed by Jews, Jew bankers from all various countries, and it was prosecuted by Jewish revolutionaries financed by these same Jewish bankers. That's what the Soviet putsch was. It was not an internal revolution at all. It was an invasion, a very well-crafted invasion of Russia by the international Jew, both bankers and revolutionaries, communists, like Trotsky, Marx, Lenin, Stalin, etc. So here we're get, he's going to name names on this page. So, the Goyim outside the Iron Curtain. So this propaganda that within the area anti-Semitism was rampant. This is pure propaganda. There was no anti-Semitism. In fact, the law is against it. And anybody who spoke a word against the Jews in the Soviet Union was swiftly punished. But nevertheless, the Jewish propaganda, always, they always have to claim that they're persecuted. We're such poor persecuted Jews. We've been persecuted forever. No, they haven't. It began to be believed by quite a number of people who should have known better. So much so that in the autumn of the latter year, I thought it worthwhile to get out a list showing the number of vital positions held by Jews behind the Iron Curtain. Here is an extract from those lists. So I think he's talking about 1949. Premier. Stalin, married to a Jewess, and he actually had Jewish blood because his, oh, what was the country, Georgia. His Georgian surname was Jugashvili. D-J-U-A-S-H-V-I-L-I. Vili in Georgian means son of. And Jugash means Jew. (laughs) So, Jugashvili means son of a Jew. That's what it means. Vice Premier Gaganovich, Jew, full-blooded Jew. Ministry of State Control, Meklis, Jew. Military and Naval Construction, Ginsburg. Do I have to tell you? Minister, Common Form Organ, Yudin. Chief Publicist Abroad for USSR, Ilya Ehrenberg, Ministry of Building Enterprises Machinery, again, Yudin. These are all Jews. Foreign Minister Molotov, married to a Jewess. In Poland, virtual ruler Jakob Bergman, Jew. Public prosecutor T. Kiprian, Jew. OC Youth Movements, Dr. Branuski, Jew. Hungary, virtual ruler, Matthias Rakosi, Jew. And cannot forget Bela Kuhn, Jew, the revolutionary, Hungarian Jewish revolutionary that overthrew the good Christian people of Hungary. 
Romania virtual ruler Anna Pauker, Jewess, since removed for deviationism but replaced by another Jew. Yugoslavia virtual ruler Moishi Pijede, Jew. So is there any doubt that Bolshevism is Jewish? Even even many political leaders of Britain and Europe in those days who hadn't been taken over by Jewish Bolshevism have stated, are on record as stating that Bolshevism is Jewish. Let's continue. In May 1949, the Daily Worker, which is of course consistently and ardently pro-Jewish, printed an article by M. A. Rothst- or Mr. A. Rothstein praising the USSR to the skies. And about f- the same time, another article on similar lines about the paradise behind the Iron Curtain by Mr. Sam Aronovich. Aron- and of course, the New York Times, through this whole era, was praising the Soviet Union as being a worker's paradise. A worker's paradise covering up the systematic slaughter of Christian Christians in the Soviet Union to the tune of at least 66 million. Yet all we ever hear about is the 6 million in Germany who were actually set up by the Zionists to take a fall so that they could claim the Jews, the Zionists could claim that there was you know, a systematic extermination of Jews in Germany, which never took place. Those Jews actually were put on boats and sent to Israel, and some of them escaped to America and other countries like Brazil, etc. The last place those these Jews wanted to go was Palestine, and actually have to work for a living, farming. There's no such thing as a Jewish farmer or a Jewish carpenter. So, let's continue here, Mr. Sam Aronvich. On the 10th November, the same paper printed an article in which D. Cartoon, K-A-R-T-U-N, is that where we get the word cartoon from? (laughs) In which D. Cartoon, writing of the people's democracies and the stamping out of anti-Semitism there, wrote, quote, No one could dream of making an anti-Semitic speech or writing an anti-Semitic article in any of these countries. If they did, their jail sentence would be both immediate and lengthy. In the last few years, we have been supplied with further dramatic proof of the vital interrelation between Jews and the USSR. From the Canadian spy trials, which focused the spotlight on atom spying for the USSR, With the conviction and imprisonment of Frank Rosenberg, alias Rose, the Canadian Jew-Communist Member of Parliament and several Jews, to the conviction and imprisonment of many others of the same gang in Britain and the USA, including Fuchs, Professor Weinbaum, Judith Coplin, Harry Gold, David Greenglass, Julius Rosenberg, who was, of course, put to death with his wife, Miriam Moskowitz, Abraham Brachtans and Raymond Boyer, who, though a non-Jew by birth, married a Jewess 
and I believe adopted the Jewish creed on that occasion. Okay? So, when Julius, and I believe her name was Anna Rosenberg, were executed for being communist spies, the ADL and all Jewish groups in America were immediately terrified and sprang into action. They persecuted Joe McCarthy and even Richard Nixon, because Richard Nixon was exposing communists in the, in the military and in our government, and the Jews had to put an end to that because they couldn't afford to have any more Jews being executed as communist spies. So the ADL, and of course under Harry Truman, who was also a Jew, B'nai Brith bribed Harry Truman with a $2 million in-cash bribe to recognize Israel. And of course, Eisenhower himself was also a Jew. So between Truman and Eisenhower at the helm and the Supreme Court Justice, uh, his, uh, his name escapes me, it was the Warren, yeah, Earl Warren. He was actually a rabbi and he's the one who attacked, he and Eisenhower attacked the South with arms to integrate the schools, you can see that the Jewish rulership over our country by the ADL, B'nai B'rith, Truman, Eisenhower, and all the rest has totally subverted our country. Just as they, the Jews subverted Judah in Palestine 2,000 years ago. It's the same story, folks. They have just now taken over the entire planet. Of course, they have had to take over America because America is the last Christian country on the face of the earth. And even that is very poorly uh, demonstrated Christianity. But nevertheless, we in identity are experiencing a resurgence. And as a matter of fact, that uh, chapter, Ezekiel chapter 37, I was only talking about the second half of that chapter where it talks about the coming together of the two houses of Judah, the two-tribed house of Judah and the ten-tribed house of Israel. That's what that chapter was about. It had nothing to do with the building of a brick-and-mortar temple. But part one of chapter 37 of Ezekiel is actually the, the valley of the dry bones, the dry bones getting sinews and muscles and flesh and eyes, and mouth, and nose, etc. Coming back to life. That's a prophecy of the end times. This is the great resurgence, the great awakening of our people in these end times. So Ezekiel 37 has nothing to do with Jews. It has everything to do with us. So let's continue here. Because this is, folks, you have to understand that the Bible is not about the Jews. Oh, Ethel, thank you. Ethel Rosen. Yeah, Ethel Gasoline. <laughs> right? That's, so they named it Ethel Gasoline. You remember those days when it was uh, regular and Ethel? Okay. Standard Oil? Yeah, of course, the Rockefeller Oil Company. So, yeah, we need to get get our act together. We need to get our act together. So, buy Ethel Gasoline <laughs> in remembrance of Ethel Rosenberg. Of course, it's not called Ethel anymore. I forget what they call it now. It's a, 
high high tests. Uh, they had di- different companies had different words for it, but there was just two two grades: regular and ethyl in those days. Anyway, so now we have uh, alcohol. Now remember, the Jews were responsible for getting rid of alcohol engines. The first cars off the assembly lines of the Ford Motor Company burned alcohol. But because the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds were so heavily invested in petroleum, they had to do away with alcohol combustion engines. And that's why they had Prohibition instituted. So during Prohibition, there were no alcohol-burning cars anymore. You had to switch over to petroleum, gasoline, Otherwise, you couldn't run your car. And so the tractors on America's farms were run on alcohol, which the farmers themselves could produce in their own stills to run their tractors with alcohol. And the feds went farm to farm, persecuting all of the farmers who had their own stills and were running their tractors on alcohol. That's the true story of Prohibition, folks. You'll never hear that in mainstream media. Okay? So let's continue here. Finally, we had the flight to the USSR with Adam Secrets, also of the Jew Professor Pontecorvo, who I've never heard of, Professor Pontecorvo, who had been working in close association with Fuchs, Klaus Fuchs. No doubt we shall continue to be regaled with plausible stories proving that Russia has gone anti-Jewish, but it is not hard to realize that such a Jewish group backed by the most elaborate spy and liquidation squads known to man would cause a convulsion which would shake the world before its grip would be broken. It's just more, more Jewish propaganda, folks. Don't believe it when you hear that the Soviet Union was anti-Jewish. Don't believe a word of it. That's just propaganda designed to make sympathy, create sympathy among the Zionist Jews. I mean, well, the Zionist Jews, of course, but the Zionist Christians in America and elsewhere. I don't know if there are any Christian Zionists outside of America. I think this is the only country that has such a phenomenon. But nevertheless, the Jews always have to uh, provoke sympathy for their cause by claiming to be persecuted. And that's nothing but lies, folks. Okay, chapter 4. Development of revolutionary technique. Four revolutions in history merit our special attention. The study and comparison of the methods employed therein will reveal, on the one hand, a basic similarity between them and on the other, an interesting advance in technique, with each succeeding upheaval. It is as if we studied the various stages in the evolution of the modern rifle from the original old brown best. Right, exactly. All right, again, I can't praise this book highly enough. I'm on page 33. If you can, purchase a copy. It's available at Amazon. It's probably available at other sources. And you can direct them to this website, copy it and paste it into the emails of your friends and relatives so they can find out the truth about Jewry and Bolshevism. This is such an important book because it's so concise. It goes through every major revolution in Europe and shows 
that the Jews financed every single one of them. And it names names. It names the bankers behind these revolutions. It is as if we studied the various stages in the evolution of the modern rifle from the original old brown Bess. The revolutions in question are firstly the Cromwellian, secondly the French, thirdly the Russian, and lastly the Spanish Revolution of 1936. All four can be proved to have been the work of international Jewry. The first three succeeded and secured the murder of the reigning monarch and the liquidation of his supporters. In each case, Jewish finance and underground intrigue are clearly traceable, and the earliest measures passed by the revolutionaries have been emancipation for the Jews. Cromwell was financed by various Jews, notably Manasseh ben Israel and Carvajal, the great Jew, contracted to his army. On this occasion, Jewish influence remained financial and commercial, while the propaganda weapons and media were semi-religious all the Cromwellians being soaked in the Old Testament Judaism, Judeo-Christianity, in other words, under uh, Cohen, or Calvin, (laughs) Calvin as he's known, but he was a Jew really named Cohen. Some, such as General Harrison, even carried their Judaism to the length of advocating the adoption of the Mosaic Law as the Law of England. Of course, that would be the Talmud, not the Mosaic Law and the substitution of Saturday as the Sabbath in place of Christian Sunday. We are all familiar with the absurd Old Testament passages in which the roundhead rank and file adopted as names, such as Sergeant Obadiah, bind the kings in chains and their nobles in fetters of iron. Okay, well, obviously, when you understand that we are the Israelites, yeah, we were supposed to bind our kings to the fetters of the law. The, the, the Bible clearly says that the Davidic dynasty, which just recently ended with Queen Elizabeth, are supposed to obey Yahweh's laws. But very few of them ever have. Many have gone to the other side and are actually working for the Jews. And as I have been talking about Prince Charlie on Caravan to Midnight, he is a Freemason and he is actually a promoter of the Great Reset. So he is thick with the Jews, if not a Jew himself, with some Jewish blood. I think he does have some Jewish blood coming from the Mount Batten, formerly known as the Battenberg side. But they changed their name because they didn't want the British people to, to know that they there might be some Jewish blood in there. Anyway, okay, and of course... Uh, Archibald Ramsey is not Christian identity, so he still uh, you know, thinks that the Jews are the people of the book. The Cromwellian Revolution was short-lived. The work of destruction had not been sufficiently thorough to frustrate counter-revolution and restoration of the old regime. The second revolution, the so-called Glorious Revolution of 1689, was necessary. This again was financed by Jews, notably Solomon Medina, Swaso. Moses Machado, and others. By the French Revolution of 1789, the technique had been notably improved. Secret societies had been developed throughout France on a grand scale in the preceding years. The plans for the liquidation of the former regime are by this time far more drastic. 
the judicial murder of a kindly and well-intentioned king and a few nobles is replaced by mass murders in prisons and in private houses of the whole of the nobility, clergy, gentry, and bourgeoisie, namely the middle class. The Jews also always want to destroy the white middle class, regardless of sex. The Cromwellian damage and desecration of a few churches by their temporary use as stables is developed into a general wrecking of the Christian churches or their conversion into public lavatories, brothels, and markets, and the banning of the practice of the Christian religion, and even the ringing of church bells, okay? Yeah, so the accomplices of the Judeo-Christian churches, many of whom are actually Jews, and certainly many of them are homosexuals, certainly in the Catholic Church, are always in league with the Jews. And I'm wondering if he's even going to get into the Weimar Republic, because Germany was overthrown, or at least the attempted overthrow of Germany by Jewish communists, almost succeeded. But the end result of the the Weimar, uh, you know, the, the treaty at Versailles, was the creation of the Weimar Republic, which was, which was 100% Jewish. It had to be overthrown by Adolf Hitler. So, you could say the Jews overthrew Germany as well. Civil war is not allowed to develop. The army is sidetracked and kept apart from its king by his seizure at an early stage. So powerful is the unseen control by 1789 that apparently the dregs of the French population victoriously liquidate all their natural leaders in itself a most unnatural and suspicious phenomenon. Yeah, it was done by the Freemasons and the Jacobins and financed by Jews. More suspicious still is the sudden appearance of strong bands of armed hooligans. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like we have here in America, you know, financed by George Soros, right? Antifa, Black Lives Matter. It's the same tactic, folks. It never ends. It won't end until the second coming. But I sure hope our people put up strong resistance before that to demonstrate to Yahshua that we understand what's going on and we are capable of defending ourselves against this perfidious enemy, the children of the devil, the Jews. Hooligans. And of course, the Pharisees in the days of Palestine did the same thing by hiring mobs to to persecute our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They're the ones who executed him. Yet the Jews have hired and paid millions, if not billions of dollars of hush money to Judeo-Christian pastors to tell you that the Romans killed Christ when, when Pontius Pilate did everything in his power to try to prevent the execution. The only thing that convinced Pilate to turn Jesus over to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Sanhedrin for execution, was their threat to go over his head and complain to the the Caesar, Tiberius, that we will stage an insurrection if you don't allow us to prosecute Jesus Christ. 
that that was the one thing that convinced Pontius Pilate that he had to try. He he had nothing to do with the execution of Christ. Rome had nothing to do with the execution of Christ. Pontius Pilate did everything in his power to prevent it. But he knew that the Sanhedrin and the Jews had the ability to create another revolution. And this is where they got their revolutionary tactics from. And they had staged several revolutions in Judea before King Titus finally destroyed them and the temple. Okay? That's the story there. And uh, uh, we need to do a show about that, perhaps after this, this series. So let's continue. Here we have the... Okay, let me just start this paragraph because it's very important what he says here in the first sentence. More suspicious still is the sudden appearance of strong bands of armed hooligans who march on Paris from Lyon and Marseille and are recorded as being obviously foreigners. (laughs) Right? Foreigners. How many Edomites were brought into Jerusalem by the Sanhedrin to pose as Israelites and throw rocks and curses at Yahshua Messiah as he was walking down the street, bearing his cross. Eh? How many Edomites were imported into Jerusalem for that purpose? Foreigners. Here we have the first formations of alien mercenary and criminal elements, forcing revolutions upon a country not their own, which were to have their finished and expanded prototype in the international brigades which attempted to force Marxism on Spain 150 years later. Are you seeing the value of this book, folks? What an incredibly valuable book this is. Yes, and and Pilate's wife saw in a dream that this is this is a very holy person. Have nothing to do with him, right? Listen to your wife. <laughs> Listen to your wife. Okay, let's continue. So, yes, the Spanish Revolution, which, by the way, the eradication of the Jewish communists from Spain couldn't have proceeded without Hitler. It was Hitler's Germany that helped Spain get rid of these Jewish communists. Let's continue. I'm on page 34. England in the 17th century had not been dismembered and hideously remolded on alien lines. But all familiar landmarks in the 18th century France were destroyed. Wow! Guess what's happening in America, folks? The splendid and historic names and titles of counties, departments, and families were scrapped, and France divided into numbered squares, occupied merely by, quote, citizens, Jew puppets. Even the months of the calendar were changed. The national flag of France with its lilies and its glories was banned. Instead, the French received the tricolor, badge of murder and rapine. Here, however, the planners made a mistake. The tricolor might not be the honored and famous flag of France. It might be dripping with the blood of massacre, regicide, and villainy. It might be stinking with the slime of the Jewish criminals who designed and foisted it upon the French people. But it was proclaimed the national flag, and the national flag it became. 
and with the national flag came the national army and a national leader, Napoleon. It was not long before this great Frenchman ran up against the secret powers who up till then controlled the armies of France. They had planned to use these armies to revolutionize all European states, one after another, to overthrow all leadership and establish rule of the mob, apparently, in reality, of course, their own. Just in this manner do the Jews today plan to use the Red Army. Such a policy directed by aliens of this type could not long continue once a national army had thrown up a real national leader. Their outlook and policy must inevitably be poles apart. It was not long before the First Council challenged and overthrew these aliens and their puppets. So, Napoleon arose as an anti-Jewish leader, although not originally so. It took him a while to figure it out. But the same thing happened in Hitler's Germany. A nationalist leader arose to oppose the Jews. Folks, the Jews virtually control the whole world. And we know that America is the linchpin for their total control. But I do not believe that they have the power to overthrow America. There's too much pro-gun sentiment. It's still nominally Christian and proud Christians at that who believe in freedom of speech, who believe in the Constitution, who believe in the right to bear arms, and who hate tyrants. We just have to explain to them who the real tyrants are. And once there's a glimmer of understanding, remember, Yahshua said, all secrets will be revealed. And Eurofolk Radio is taking the lead in revealing the secrets of the Jews. Let's continue. By the year 1804, Napoleon had come to recognize the Jew and his plans as a menace to France. And all that the revolution had swept away, he systematically restored. From this time onwards, Jewish money financed every coalition against him. And Jews today boast that it was Rothschild rather than Wellington who defeated Napoleon. And that's true, because the British military was not financed by the British people or the British government, it was financed by the Rothschilds. Knowing these things, Hitler, on his occupation of Paris, immediately ordered a permanent guard of honor to be mounted over Napoleon's tomb at the Invalide, and had the body of Leglon, Napoleon's son by Maria Luisa, brought from Austria, and buried at last in his proper place at the side of his father. When we come to examine the Russian Revolution, we find that the technique is still bolder and far more drastic. On this occasion, no national flag, army, or anthem is permitted. After the dregs of the community have apparently accomplished the impossible and liquidated every other class down to and including the Kulak, a man with three cows, they are herded into a polyglot force called the Red Army. Over them waves an international red flag, not a Russian flag. Their anthem is the Internationale. The technique of revolution in Russia was so perfected that to this day it has secured the Jewish regime established there against all counter-strokes. I think this was published in 1949, if I'm not mistaken. The technique of revolution in Russia was so perfected that to this day it has secured the Jewish regime 
established there against all counter-strokes. Yeah, and actually it would have collapsed because, as the story goes, Stalin had his bags packed in 1933, expecting to be overthrown. So he was on red alert, so to speak. But the Soviet Union was saved by none other than federal dictator Rosenfeld, who opened trade to the Soviet Union for all the American and other corporations to do business with the Soviets, thus rescuing their financial collapse, their imminent financial collapse. That's a story of treason very few people know about. The technique of revolution in Russia was so perfected that to this day it has secured the Jewish regime established there against all counter-strokes. The next revolution to merit our attention is the one that broke out in Spain in 1936. Fortunately for Europe, it was frustrated by General Franco and a number of gallant men who instantly took the field in opposition to the revolutionary forces and succeeded in a long struggle in crushing them. This achievement, they were murdering priests and raping nuns in Spain, folks. That's typically what the Bolsheviks do. This achievement is all the more remarkable in view of the latest development in revolutionary organization, which was then revealed in the shape of the international brigades. These international brigades, besides representing the very latest novelty in revolutionary technique, were a remarkable production. They were recruited from criminals, adventurers, and dupes, mostly communists, from 52 different countries, mysteriously transported and assembled in formations in Spain within a few weeks of the outbreak of disorder, uniformed in a garb closely related to our battle dress, and armed with weapons bearing the Jewish five-pointed star. Of course, they had to change from a six-pointed star to a five-pointed star, in order to disguise the Jewishness of the revolution. This star and the seal of Solomon were upon the signet rings of NCOs and officers in this communist horde of ill-disciplined ruffians. <laughs> I have seen them myself in where? By October 1936, these international brigades were already assembled in Spain in considerable numbers. Undisciplined and blackguardly though they were, the mere fact of a large and well-armed political army intervening suddenly on one side in the early stages of a civil war might be reasonably might reasonably have been counted upon to achieve a decision before the patriotic and decent element in the country could have time to create an adequate fighting machine. Of course, as you know from listening to your folk radio, the Jews did the same thing in here America, uh, financing both sides of the American Civil War. Constant ag- agitation propaganda coming from the Jew-controlled press in the North and in the South. 600,000 white Americans slaughtered on the battlefield by the Jews. Though the British public were kept in total ignorance as to the true significance of what was taking place in Spain, two countries in Europe were alive to the situation. Germany and Italy had each in their own turn experienced the throes of communist revolution and emerged victorious over this foulest of earthly plagues. They knew who had financed and organized the international brigades, and with what fell purpose Barcelona had been declared in October 1936 the capital of the Soviet states of Western Europe. 
At the critical moment, they intervened in just sufficient strength to counter the International Brigade and enable the Spanish people to organize their own army, which, in due course, easily settled the matter. Here again. What do you hear about the so-called Spanish Revolution? Is there any news in the history books except to say that it was a a struggle for the liberation of the Spanish people. Really. Is that how... That's how it's portrayed. The Jews always rewrite our own history for us to keep us in the dark. So from one generation to the next, maybe the generation that survived the Spanish Revolution could tell you, hey, these were Jew communists. They were trying to overthrow a legitimate country just like they did to the Soviet Union, to Russia, and proclaimed it, yeah, liberation from who? Right. From ourselves? (laughs) Right. Other Spanish people? Right. Excellent question, Paul. Right. Yeah, the five-pointed star is the emblem emblem of Amalek, says Sussex Man. Thank you. So, again, the Confederate statues. Yeah, they're taking down the Confederate statues. It's the Jews who are responsible for this. Using Black Lives Matter and Antifa, the hooligans, as our author here is telling us, the 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 Hiramob, right? The, uh, the the Jewish controlled crisis actors that stage all of these small time acts of terrorism and blame it on white guys, folks. There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing. Our people need to wake up. And this book will provide the wake-up call. Please share this book with everybody you know. You don't have to go out of the street corner and take a bullet. Just print this book out or you know, make a copy of it and email it to your friends and relatives. Tell them, you have to read this book. If you don't read this book... You're an idiot, <laughs> right? Don't put it that way. Put it nicely. Please read this book. Please, 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 please read this book. It will open your eyes. This is probably the most eye-opening book ever written about the Jews and revolution. So let's continue. Though the British, uh, of course, Hitler, Adolf Hitler, was the biggest supporter of the Spanish people at this point in time. So we have Adolf Hitler to thank for the failure of this another Jew-sponsored revolution. Though the British public were kept in total ignorance as to the true significance of what was taking place in Spain, two countries in Europe were alive to the situation. Germany and Italy had each in their turn experienced the throes of communist revolution. Yes, that was the Weimar Republic in Germany. I'm not that familiar with the the communist revolution in Italy. And emerged victorious over this foulest of earthly plagues. Yeah, Jew communism. They knew who had financed and organized the international brigades and with what fell purpose Barcelona had been declared in October 1936, the capital of the Soviet states of Western Europe. As I just stated, Americans know literally nothing about the Spanish Revolution because it's so obviously Jewish and communist-inspired with outside interference. It's so obvious 
that they dare not even talk about it. At the critical moment, they intervened in just sufficient strength to counter the International Brigade and enable the Spanish people to organize their own army, which in due course easily settled the matter, thanks to Adolf Hitler and, and Italy. Settled the matter, that is to say, as far as Spain was concerned. There was, however, another settlement to come. International Jewry had been seriously thwarted. They would not rest henceforward until they could have their revenge, until they could by hook or crook turn the guns of the rest of the world against these two states, which in addition to thwarting their designs in Spain, were in the process of placing Europe upon a system of independent independent of gold and usury, which, if permitted to develop, would break the Jewish power forever. And that was actually why the Jews staged our American Civil War, because our country at that time had gold and silver as currency. Our, our money was not uh, loaned into circulation by Jews. That was a, the second aim of the Civil War for the Jews. Number one, to divide the country in half so they would force us to fight against each other. Number two was to take control of our economy with Jewish debt, debt money. And number three to utilize the blacks against us in the future to create racial strife. Those were the three aims of the Jews for the Civil War. And yet, very, very few people understand this. Next heading here, Germany bells the cat. The urgent alarm sounded in 1918 by Mr. Odendike in his letter to Mr. Balfour denouncing Bolshevism as a Jewish plan which, if not checked by the combined action of the European powers, would engulf Europe and the world was no exaggeration. By the way, Winston Churchill also stated the same thing. He published an article in the Illustrated Sunday Herald in which he proclaimed that Bolshevism is a Jewish plot against Western civilization. Even Winston Churchill said this. But he also was pro-Zionist because he was a, a Zionist shill. And the Zionists supported him. So maybe he was flummoxed by, by Zionism. Maybe he was just, you know, just didn't understand that the Jews are way more cunning <laughs> than being Bolsheviks, right? So he opposed Bolshevism, but he promoted Zionism. That's Winston Churchill. Okay. By the end of that year, the red flag was being hoisted in most of the great cities of Europe. In Hungary, the Jew Balakun organized and maintained for some time a merciless and bloody tyranny similar to the one in Russia. In Germany, the Jews Liebknecht, Barth, Scheidermann, Rosa Luxemburg, etc. made a desperate bid for power. These and other similar convulsions shook Europe but each country in its own way just frustrated the onslaughts. Well, yeah, it's amazing that the Jews would dare to pull this off. Again, they're trying to pull it off here in America. They have succeeded in Europe, folks. Europe is going to freeze this winter because the Jew Bolsheviks, otherwise known as the Rothschilds, have financed Europe's demise. You know, the, the flood of immigrants, the illegal aliens, the rapes and murders are financed by Jews. 
the war in Ukraine is totally orchestrated by the Rothschilds, including Putin. They put Putin in a position where he cannot he he cannot resist Jewish power, and they're using their power to exterminate the Ukrainians again. They did the Holodomor where they exterminated 13 million Ukrainians during the Bolshevik days. And now they're doing it again. Because I think the Jews are afraid that there's going to be an armed uprising of 60 million Arabs (laughs) flooding into Israel and there's no way they can stave off such an influx. Uh, There has to be, right now, a rage in the breasts of the Arabian people, Muslims in particular, against the Israeli state, knowing that the Israelis are the responsible for all of the warfare going on in the Middle East. They know this. They blame America, too, because the American military has been used by the Jews to make war against the Arabs. And they know this, too. That's why they call America the Great Satan. But most of them also know that the Jews are the ones in control of America and Europe. And so these Arabians and Muslims are more than happy to cross the Mediterranean and rape white women and murder white people and cause havoc in Europe because they know that our governments, at least, have been in the pockets of the Jews. And that this is their revenge. This is a, a very slender razor's edge that the Jews are walking currently. Because if the white man ever wakes up, it's over. It's over for the Jews. This awakening that we're promoting here at Eurofork Radio and white nationalists everywhere, and more and more white nationalists are gravitating to Christian identity because they're beginning to realize that everything about Judaism is fake, including their claim to being God's chosen people. And the Jews are trying to stave this off. It's a race against time. The Great Awakening is happening. The dry bones of Ezekiel 37 are gaining flesh, blood, sinew, muscle, eyes, ears, especially eyes and ears, right? Christian identity is the mouth. The eyes and ears are still coming into place. Let's continue. So, in most countries concerned, a few voices were raised in an endeavor to expose the true nature of these evils. Only in one, however, did a political leader and group arise who grasped to the full of the significance of these happenings and perceived behind the mobs of native hooligans well, and outsiders as well, the organization and driving power of world Jewry. This leader was Adolf Hitler and his group, the National Socialist Party of Germany. Never before in history had any country not only repulsed organized revolution, but discerned Jewry behind it and faced up to that fact. We need not wonder that the sewers of Jewish vituperation were flooded over these men and their leaders. Nor should we make the mistake of supposing that Jewry would stick at any lie to deter honest men everywhere from making a, a thorough investigation of the facts for themselves. This is why they had to invent the Holocaust 
to provide a cover for their uh, intrigue in Germany. Nevertheless, if any value liberty and set out to seek truth and defend it, this duty of personal investigation is one which they cannot shirk. Yes, that's why people need to read this book. White people need to read this book. To accept unquestionably the lies and misrepresentations of Jew control or influenced press is to spurn truth by sheer idleness, if for no worse reason. To act on such unverified a basis is to sit against the light. In the case of Germany and Hitler, the task of research is not difficult. We have had on many authorities that Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, stated fully and accurately the author's observations and conclusions concerning all these vital matters. Quite false pictures have been propagated deliberately about this book by quoting passages out of their context, distorting meanings, and downright misrepresentation. Having read many of these unscrupulous diatribes, it was with no little surprise that I read this book for myself not not so very long ago. So what does it really say? Well, you have to read it for yourself, right? Don't believe Jewish lies. For many conversations I had heard and taken part in, I now realize that most members of the public were as ignorant as I of the real nature of this remarkable book. I propose, therefore, to try and give a true picture of its spirit and purport by quotations from its two main themes. Firstly, realization and exposure of the Jewish scheme for world Marxism. And secondly, admiration of and longing for friendship with Great Britain. Writing of the days before 1914, Hitler states, quote, I still saw Jewry as a religion. Of the existence of deliberate Jewish hostility, I had no conception. I gradually realized that the social democratic press was predominantly controlled by Jews. There was not a single paper with which the Jews were connected which could be described as genuinely national. I seized all the social democratic pamphlets I could get hold of and looked up the names of their authors. Nothing but Jews! Look at America today. Alex Jones, even though he's not himself Jewish, married to a Jewish woman, and his whole operation is run by Jews. Facebook, Twitter, PayPal, you name it, they're all run by Jews. They prevent truth from getting out. That's why the only source of accurate news is independent journalism, not even alternative journalism, because alternative journalism is also run by Jews, Alex Jones being one of them. They specialize in only telling partial truths and ignoring the the Jewish question at all costs. Folks, the ray of light has to shine through all of this Jewish propaganda Eventually. Eventually. Hitler figured it out. We have figured it out. Now it's time for the general public to figure it out. As he pursued the study of these questions, Hitler began to perceive the main outlines of the truth. Quote, I made also a deep study of the relation between Judaism and Marxism. 
The Jewish state never had boundaries as far as space was concerned. It was unlimited as regards space, but bound down by its conception of itself as a race. That people, therefore, was always a state within a state. And this concept was first enunciated by Benjamin Franklin, who declared that the Jews have always been a state within a state, infiltrating countries in order to subvert them. This is, in fact, the reality, and both Benjamin Franklin and Adolf Hitler perceived it. The Jewish doctrine of Marxism rejects the aristocratic principle in nature, denies the value of the individual among men, combats the importance of nationality and race, thereby depriving humanity of the whole meaning of existence. Yeah, nihilism. Continuing. Democracy in the West today is the forerunner of Marxism. (laughs) is a prophet, which would be inconceivable without democracy. Democracy is ruled by Jewish propaganda. If the Jew, with the help of his Marxian creed, conquers the nations of the world, his crown will be the funeral wreath of the human race. Just imagine yourself sitting in the crowd while Hitler is giving such a speech. He's basically saying the obvious, but what most people are afraid to say. Continuing with Hitler here, Thus did I now believe, he writes in the days of 1918, that by defending myself against the Jews, I am doing the Lord's work. At the end of 1918, there came the revolution in Germany organized behind the unbroken army in the field. Concerning this, Hitler wrote, quote, In November, sailors arrived in lorries and called on us all to revolt, a few Jewish youths being the leaders in that struggle for the freedom, beauty, and dignity of our national life. Not one of them had ever been on the, to the front. Oh, yeah. Like here in America, the Jewish Veterans Organization bragging that they're great patriots, all two of them. The real organizer of the revolution and its actual wire puller, the international Jew. The revolution was not made by the forces of peace and order, but by those of riot, robbery, and plunder. Yeah, this was the beginning of the Weimar Republic, folks. That's how the Weimar Republic began, by Jewish revolutionaries flooding into Germany, just as they flooded into Russia. But thankfully, the German military and Adolf Hitler put an end to that. Okay, all right, I'm going to have to take a quick pause here. And I will be back in about 10 seconds. Have to eliminate the uh, sound for momentarily here. Be right back. Okay, back at you. And we say, I was beginning to learn afresh. This is still Hitler. I was beginning to learn afresh and only now came to a right comprehension of the teachings and intentions of the Jew Karl Marx. Only now did I properly understand his capital, 
and equally also the struggle of social democracy against the economies of the nation, or economics of the nation, and that its aim is to prepare the ground for the domination of the truly international capital. Right, Jewish money power. The lending of money into circulation at interest, therefore debt money as opposed to real money, specie, namely gold and silver. Emperor to offer the hand of friendship to the leaders of Marxism. While they held the imperial hand in theirs, the other hand was already feeling for the dagger. With the Jew, there is no bargaining. There is merely the hard either-or. Later on, Hitler gives in great detail the outlines of the Jewish disruptive machine. By means of the trades unions, which might have been the saving of the nation, the Jew actually destroys the nation's economics. Yeah, because they control the labor unions. That's how they get in. in that's how they get communism into the country. Because no real worker wants to overthrow the economic system by which he hopes to become prosperous. There's no way. Communism has never been a working class movement. It has always been a movement of Jewish intellectuals, coffeehouse intellectuals, and and college students who have been brainwashed. It's never been a workers' union movement, rather. By means of the trade unions, by infiltrating them and taking over them, which might have been the saving of the nation, the Jew actually destroys the nation's economics. And that's what they're doing right here in America right now. But it's not working so well because the workers of the various labor unions are turning against the union's leaders. They're still not privy to the Jewish question, but they know that they're that the labor union leaders are robbing the pension funds. This in in Great Britain, this is a major scandal. The British pension funds have been robbed, folks. This is creating anger. the The caper that the Jews are trying to pull off, basically, to take full control of the entire world. With, of course, the white race being the prime target of elimination, is just far too big. There's no way. There's no way the Jews can pull this caper off. And especially because here in America we understand what's going on, and more and more of our people are waking up daily, weekly, monthly. They know that Joe Biden stole the election. They know it. Even the Democrats know it. How much corruption will the American people put up with before there's rioting in the streets by the good guys? Continuing. By creating a press which is on the intellectual level of the least educated. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Not to mention the educational system. The political and labor organization obtains force of compulsion enabling it to make the lowest strata of the nation ready for the most hazardous enterprises. Yeah, blame capitalism. Boy, the college students who eventually become Antifa and Black Lives Matter, 
They're going to be fed into the meat grinder. They are going to be fed into the meat grinder. Because there's no way that gun-toting Americans are going to give up their guns and let the country be overthrown by a bunch of moronic college students. Ain't going to happen, folks. Let's continue. The Jewish press tears down all which may be regarded as the prop of a nation's independence, civilization, and its economic autonomy. It roars especially against characters who refuse to bow the knee to Jewish domination or whose intellectual capacity appears to the Jew in the light of a menace to himself. That's why they assassinate our leaders such as JFK. Huey Long, Congressman Lewis T. McFadden, etc. These are real patriots who stood in the path almost single-handedly against the Jew. But we can't stand single-handedly against the Jew. We have to rise up en masse against them and tell them and look these Jews in the eye and tell them, It's over, kike! The ignorance displayed by the mass and the lack of instinctive perception of our upper class, no, well, they're compromised. They're either paid off or assassinated. A, a perfect example here in Illinois is a former governor, Chuck Percy, while he was governor, made a mistake of criticizing Israel for its treatment of the Palestinian people. Next thing you know, his daughter was murdered. That's a very effective silencing technique. The ignorance displayed by the masses and the lack of instinctive perception of our upper class make the people easy dupes of this campaign of Jewish lies. But the present day is working its own ruin. Man, it's taking a long time. <laughs> right? I'd say, again, written around 1949. Here we are. 70 years later. But the present day is working its own ruin. It introduces universal suffrage, chatters about equal rights, and can give no reason for so thinking. In its eyes, material rewards are the expression of a man's worth thus shattering the basis for the noblest equality that could possibly exist. It is one of the tasks of our movement to hold out prospects of a time when the individual will be given what he needs in order to live, but also to maintain the principle that man does not live for material enjoyment alone. Sounds like a preacher. The political life of today alone has persistently turned its back on this principle of nature. Human civilization is but the outcome of the creative force of personality in the community as a whole, and especially among its leaders. The principle of the dignity of the majority is beginning to poison all life below it, and in fact to break it up. We now see that Marxism is the unenunciated, or rather the enunciated, form of the Jewish attempt to abolish the importance of personality in all departments of human life, that is individualism and to set up the mass of numbers in its place. Yeah, the hive. The hive mind. And don't you know, that's what the mRNA shots are all about, is to create a hive mind, easily manipulated 
with 5G. The principle of decision by majorities has not always governed the human race. On the contrary, it only appears during quite short periods of, of history, and those are always periods of decadence in nations and states. Have we become decadent or not? We must not forget that international Jewry, or the international Jew, who continues to dominate over Russia, does not regard Germany as an ally, but as a state destined to undergo a similar fate. On the last page, and in almost the last paragraph of Mein Kampf, is the following, quote, The party as such stands for positive Christianity, but does not bind itself in the matter of creed to any particular confession. It combats the Jewish materialistic spirit within us and without us. Looking around the world for help in the battle against the terrible menace, this terrible menace of Jew-directed Bolshevism, Hitler's mind constantly reverted to Britain and the British Empire. He always longed for their friendship, always declared Britain to be one of the greatest bulwarks against chaos, and that her interests and those of Germany were complementary and not contrary to one another. Now, is it possible that when he was writing Mein Kampf, Hitler was unaware of the Bank of England's Jewish control over Britain? Could he have been unaware of that? I can't answer that question. But that's an important question. Maybe some historian (laughs) or other is able to answer that question. Yeah, brain-dead college students. Yeah, the the, the collagen in their brains is gone, right? Yeah, deadened deadened by... college teacher, Jewish college uh, propaganda. So maybe this respect for the British people was misplaced and led him to be fooled by the Rothschilds of, of Great Britain. Maybe he did not appreciate to what extent Britain was ruled by the city, by the banking interests, the Jewish banking interests. Is it possible he wasn't aware of these things? I guess it's possible. Well, let's continue. He said, It was not a British interest, he wrote, but in the first place a Jewish one to destroy Germany. And again, quote, Even in England there is a continual struggle going on between the representatives of British state interests and the Jewish world dictatorship. But here, He had to have known that Churchill was a promoter of Zionism. Was he not aware of the Balfour Declaration? These are important questions that need to be asked and and answered. Whilst England is exhausting herself in maintaining her position in the world, the Jew is organizing his measures for its conquest. Thus the Jew today is a rebel in England and the struggle against the Jewish world menace will be started there also. So from these words, it's apparent that Hitler was not fully aware of Jewish domination of Britain. Continuing, No sacrifice would have been too great in order to gain England's alliance. It would have meant renunciation of the colonies and importance at sea, and refraining from interference with British industry by competition. 
Well, that's easily said. You know, we know that Britain, with Jew instigation, started World War One, and Germany got the blame. So it remains to be seen how much of this Jewish subterfuge in Britain Hitler was aware of. Back to Ramsey. We have about five minutes left. In later years, these two themes were ceaselessly expounded, namely the Jewish Marxist menace and the eagerness for friendship with Britain. Even down to and including Dunkirk, Hitler pressed the latter idea on all and sundry, even on his highest generals, to their astonishment. Nor did he stop at words, as will be shown later when, as Liddell Hart informs us, he saved the British army from annihilation by halting the Panzer Corps, informing his generals the while that he regarded the British Empire and the Catholic Church as necessary bulwarks of peace and order which must be safeguarded. Mein Kampf was first published in October 1933. Before it had left the printers, the floodgates of Jewish hatred and lies had been full opened against Hitler and the Third Reich over all the world. English-speaking people everywhere were deluged with fabrications, distortions, and atrocity stories, which drowned the voices of the few who understood the real situation. Forgotten in the turmoil was Marx's slogan that before Bolshevism could triumph, the British Empire must be destroyed. Well, it was virtually destroyed. Even by this time, the the Jews were simply using British uh, sea power and, and very limited land power, They still had great sea power, but very little land power to fight. And so Hitler had to be deluded on this point. And if if he was deluded, he was very much deluded. Okay, so let's continue. Forgotten in the turmoil was Marx's slogan that before Bolshevism could triumph, the British Empire must be destroyed, or at least compromised and totally suppressed as far as the British people were concerned was Hitler's repeated declaration of his willingness to defend the British Empire if called upon to assist by force of arms if necessary. So, at what point did Hitler wake up to the fact that Britain could not possibly be considered an ally? This has to be the greatest contradiction in the rule of the Nazis in Germany. Because he was obviously opposed by his own generals and they actually tried to get rid of him because of this crazy notion that Britain must be preserved. Even though Britain instigated and was behind all of communism. Was he not aware that the British Jews the Rothschilds and Jews everywhere, were behind Bolshevism. Was he not aware of this? Question for the day. (laughs) All right, folks. Chapter 6 is next. We'll uh, address this in two weeks as I will be in Texas for a rally. And uh, Brother Michael will probably still be hunting moose in Sweden. So in two weeks we will resume this fantastic book. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh, Past Ammunition. See you all next time. Bye-bye.